Hello and welcome everyone to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We're Forward Radio, WFMP LP Louisville, broadcasting from here in the historic Habern Building at 106.5 FM. And we live stream anywhere you get an internet signal. You can tune in live to Forward Radio at forwardradio.org. Hey, while you're there, why don't you chip us a few bucks to stay on the air? Wouldn't that be better than hearing a bunch of advertising or even, uh, you know, the underwriting statements where they're trying to get you to buy the latest mattress or whatever? We don't have any of that here on Forward Radio. It is not controlled by corporations or foundations. It's controlled by you, the people, the listeners fund this, and you can fund an entire day's broadcast for just 20 bucks. So maybe help spread some of that stimulus check you got around us here at Forward Radio. Go to forwardradio.org, click on donate. And no matter what your uh, economic means, we'd love to get you behind the microphones or behind the scenes helping sustain the station with volunteer power. That's how it works here at Forward Radio. So go to forwardradio.org, click on participate. Maybe you could become a host of your own show or a guest on another or do a one-time access hour. It's all good. It's all happening here at your community radio station. So go to forwardradio.org. Well, my name is Justin Mogg, and what we do each week here on Sustainability Now is invite fun folks that I want to get to know better into the studio. It's very selfish agenda here on, on Sustainability Now, and I'm excited to get one of my near neighbors in the studio, Rebecca Minnick. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Rebecca's uh, a Louisville native. She grew up in Clifton, and she's returned after many years living outside of Kentucky in Maine and elsewhere uh, as executive director of the Louisville Nature Center, which I'm also excited to learn more about because I honestly have only been there a few times. <laughs> but I hear people rave about the Louisville Nature Center. Uh, and if you want to play along at home, folks, you can learn about it right now at louisvillenaturecenter.org. They've got great programs and camps coming up. We're going to talk about some of that. Um, but why don't we talk about you and your story a little bit first, Rebecca. Tell us what it was like to grow up in Clifton. So um, I grew up right across the street from Bingham Park. Oh, yeah. Um, I love Bingham Park. It's we, cool. We didn't call it that when oh. I was a kid. It had, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was had seen better days. But uh -huh. um, I know that Olmstead's done a really good job to, to help clean up all the parks. But, you know, I spent basically all my time outside. So I was either in that park on the weekends. My dad would take me to Cherokee or to Cave Hill Cemetery or oh, the I Falls of the Ohio. And then I had some cousins that lived out in the country and in Southern Indiana. So, you know, I was just always, even though I was a city kid, I was outside as much as I could possibly be. And Fun fact, I ended up becoming a geology major in college. Nice, me too. And I saw that on your <laughs> LinkedIn. <laughs> I grew up on Coral Avenue, named for the fact that it's a giant coral reef. Wow. And I was always finding fossils in the yard and bringing them in. And my mom would always say, get those rocks out of my house, you know. Wow. And, um, you know, fast forward however many years till I went to college and um, was like, hey, now I realize why our street was called Coral Avenue. And um, <laughs> so it was kind of, a, to me, a fun little connection. And I remember having this teacher 
And I don't know if this was like a defining moment in my life, yeah. but you never I had know this when it happened, teacher, yeah. Sharon Volker, who I have reconnected with since I moved home because we see each other everywhere we go. Oh, cool. Like She's we still just around? Oh, run wow. in the same circles. But she took us to some house in downtown Louisville, somewhere in downtown. And it was all like super eco-friendly. And this was back in the like early 80s. Early 80s eco-friendly. And I remember wow. that they composted and they captured their rainwater and they had solar. And it was, I mean, I just remember thinking even back then at like age 10, why isn't every house like yeah. this? <laughs> this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And um, I just thought it was so cool. And she brought worm composting into our classroom. And I just was really, I think, really captured by all that. And then in high school, I listened to a lot of REM and got really into the environment. And so here we are. So here, wow, <laughs> that's a great origin story. And you used to ride your bike even in Louisville in those days. <laughs> yeah, we, um, I mean, that was our ticket to freedom, you yeah, know. Yeah, it was mine too. And especially back then, nobody paid attention to kids riding their bikes all over the city and yeah i'd ride up to the crescent hill library we didn't have air conditioning back then because there were some houses still in the 80s that didn't have air conditioning so i'd ride up and i'd spend the day in the crescent hill library and read all day in the air conditioning <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> or i'd ride to the pool and yeah it was it was great i i loved that i'd mentioned before i we started that we moved out to the suburbs and there wasn't really anywhere that I could ride to safely. And yeah. basically ever since then, I I wanted to get back to the city. So, yeah, yeah I grew up in, in D.C. and uh, our house had air conditioning, but my dad was hardcore into energy conservation and, and the environment and we just didn't use it. And it's funny that like um, people now think of it as just basically inconceivable. Like it's essential for survival or something like yeah. that. Um, well, we also didn't have as many days over 90 degrees. That's back true. Then. It's getting so. worse all the time. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, we, we, um, I would say we are very energy conscious in our house, but we still, I can't imagine not using the AC. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know people here that do. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you got into the environment, but what got you down the track of environmental education? So, like I said, I was a geology major in college. We didn't have environmental studies at my school, so that's what I chose. Um, and I didn't have an internship in college. I had to work two jobs every summer, and back then internships were unpaid. Right. And so I graduated, had no idea how to get a job as a geologist. Had no <laughs> Nobody experience. Does, yeah. This was like the early days. That we're, we're the same age. I looked you up on LinkedIn. We were the same age. This was like before the internet was a yep, tool we yep. understood, right? So I was cold calling from the phone book, like, are you hiring any geologists? Wow. Needless to say, that didn't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so someone from the Hanover College career office called one day and they were like, we don't have you, your current career on file or whatever. And yeah, I was yeah. like, well, I, I'm I, waiting tables. <laughs> and so they sent me some job bulletins. They said, these are new. We've never had them, but they might be of interest to you. And there were these jobs that were like, come teach kids about nature in the outdoors and I huh. was like well that sounds cool that sounds like that time I took a field trip to Bernheim and so uh 
that's what I did. Not that I'm just constantly <laughs> talking about how great the past was, but like back then, like we had these career counselors that got to know you yeah, yeah. and Remember would that? say like, hey, you would like this. Um, now it's all on handshake. Yeah. But um, so yeah, I went to Maine and- um, Oh, I love Maine. Oh. It was amazing. Um, I- did one of those jobs where you get paid very little and you live there and you work around the clock and you get your room and board paid for. And that only a very young person would be true. willing to do. Yeah. <laughs> and at some point I realized that when I went to bed at night, this is no lie, my face would hurt from smiling so much Aww, all day. Rebecca, and I was so like, cute. this <laughs> is my job. <laughs> this is my career. So. Wow. So you were there for almost 20 years in Maine. Yep. What part of the state? So I lived in Portland. Yeah. Um, see, I, I, my job was seasonal, so I did kind of bop around, but I, you know, Portland is uh -huh. the, the big city there. Yeah. And, um, I really loved the sense of community. I loved that I could live without a car. Um, yeah, yeah. I just, it's a real vibrant city. It is. And it's pretty um, groovy. Two hours to the mountains, uh -huh. two blocks to the beach, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's got it all. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and so in February of 2018, you, you start this new position as executive director at the Louisville Nature Center. Is that right? Yes. And, yeah. and was that like a dream come true to come back to Louisville and do environmental ed? Or? Well, I actually came back sooner um, to work at Jefferson Memorial Forest. Oh, nice. Which, nice. Which was great. I was out there for four and a half years, yeah. kind of middle management, I uh -huh, guess, type. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and the funny thing is, at some point when I was home visiting, my mom and I would often find a place to go hiking. And I remember being at the nature center and it was the building was closed. But I remember looking in the windows and saying, Mom, I should totally work here someday. <laughs> so <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I got to know Kathy, the director before me, and I said, um, please let me know when you retire because <laughs> I want your job. And um, here we are. Has so. Kathy been doing it a long time? Yeah, she was there, I think, 12 or 15 years, wow. something like wow. that. So. All right. So tell us about the place. For those who haven't had the pleasure of experiencing the Louisville Nature Center, how big is it? Uh, what kind of stuff do you have there? It's about 80 acres of forest. Wow. Um, and the cool thing is it's completely uninterrupted forest. Wow. So, you know, we have parks that have a lot more acreage, but there's roads every, yeah, you playgrounds know. Playgrounds and ball fields. And so it's, um, if you were near the zoo and then um, the back end of our property is, if you drive down Newburgh Road, the, the woods you see across the street from the ball fields at Bellarmine is the back end of the property. Yeah. So it's about 80 acres. We have two miles of trails. With some creeks? Um, Beargrass Creek does. Beargrass Creek goes um, Is the okay. border. Yeah. So we have a nature play area that we opened a year and a half ago. Okay. Pre-pandemic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's been a huge draw. People love that. So, so. tell me what a nature play area so is. So it's um, just... In the edge of the woods, and there's uh, big, huge logs that kids can climb on, oh, and I there's a sandbox and a gravel box, and there's a <laughs> natural music station where there's um, a drum kit built out of logs Ooh. and some chimes, and 
things to climb on and dig in and stack and um it's just cool wow yeah. fantastic so um it's it's a lot it, it encourages a lot more creativity than a playground where it's like here is a slide and you slide on it yeah. you know yeah you kind so. of have to make your own fun but with natural materials yeah. yeah i love that yeah we have a sensory garden so if you go in when everything's blooming it's yeah. just <laughs> swarming with butterflies oh, it's nice. pretty amazing um and that is um managed entirely by our master gardeners so that's a great volunteer project that they do um and we it's mostly native plants but not all okay um and it is intended for people to use all of their senses so if you can't see you can smell and touch and listen and um etc yeah and we have a bird blind is there anything to taste in there there is okay (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to make sure the tongue wasn't ignored (laughs) (laughs) there is i think there's a sign saying don't taste things but (laughs) oh well i'm gonna stop you from eating a chive you know so there's a sensory garden cool uh you got trails we have about two miles of trails wow and there's a bird blind where you can go in and see oh, birds and they can't see through the glass to see you. Um, that's closed. Uh, well, our building's been closed until the COVID cases start coming down again. Yeah. Um, but you're still doing outdoor programming. We are. Yep. Even in the winter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And it's selling out because it's limited capacity because of COVID, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. It's uh, cool. It's, um, you know, actually we have three species of owls in the forest, tons of deer. People have seen coyotes, foxes. We've seen a beaver in the forest. Wow. So um, it's it's a nice, I think the fact that it's uninterrupted forest, uh-huh. It's it, even though it's in the heart of the city, you really can feel like you're in the wilderness. So. Yeah. And what's the history of the land, you know? At some point, it was horse pasture. It was a part of the estate, the Creason Park Mansion. I'm sure, that makes sense. It was yeah. part of it. Um, and at some point, it was you know part of the training for Camp Taylor. Oh, right. That was down there. Okay. Um, the, the land was given to the state in the 80s. Um, it is a state nature preserve. So Beargrass Creek State Nature Preserve is the forest. And then the Nature Center building opened in the 90s. Oh, so it's not that old. Okay. And then during non-pandemic times, there's stuff to see in the building, too, and animals Yeah, we have a few small animals, you know, snakes, toads, turtles, and specimens. Yeah. And are most of your uh, visitors children, or is it just a mix of all kinds of folks? It's a mix. We get all kinds. We We see a lot of... People of all ages, yeah. um, all abilities, all everybody. Yeah. Everybody's welcome. Yeah. Well, it seems like a nice compliment to the zoo, which is kind of right across the road in, in a very controlled environment. And you're going to see, you know, the charismatic megafauna from all over the world and everything. But here you have more of an unstructured space mm-hmm. um, where you can actually experience what nature in Kentucky is supposed to be, right? <laughs> yeah, I went out after I've had many snowfalls this year for yeah, us. Little snowfalls, yeah. <laughs> but I went out after one of them and saw 
15 deer wow. in the forest. Wow. So it was, it's a little too many, but That's it was too cool. Many, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's still neat to see. <laughs> so what is the Nature Center's approach to environmental education? How would you define it? Is it is it fairly unstructured or? Well, I think it depends on what program you're doing. Yeah, so yeah. we do field trips for schools. Those are pretty structured you right. know right now our obviously we haven't done school field trips but we're do, we started a nature a forest school in the fall oh, wow. um, the swallowtail forest school so that's a pre-k program so it's ages three to five it's half day and that's completely unstructured i mean wow probably 90 percent unstructured yeah, so yeah. it's very free play the kids can explore and follow their own interest and then summer camp i would say is somewhere in between those yeah. two so yeah. and then of course we do stuff for adults too we do a lot of gardening programs those are a big hit with adults and then night hikes and birding classes and all that kind of stuff so my guest here today on Sustainability Now is Rebecca Minnick. She is a Louisville native and has returned to Louisville and is now executive director of the Louisville Nature Center in the heart of our city near Joe Creason Park and the Louisville Zoo. Uh, you can learn more at louisvillenaturecenter.org. Uh, is it, it's, this is a nonprofit organization, right? Uh, right. Do you charge admission or how is the, how is the nature center funded? So, um, we don't charge admission to just come and explore and hike. We do charge for programs and we mostly depend on that. And then donations from individuals. Um, we don't get any funding from the state or the wow. government, you know, no city funding. Um, we don't really have any recurring corporate donations. You know, we obviously apply for grants and such, sure. but, but we really depend on the... It's not the Yum community. Center Nature Center. <laughs> <laughs> However, if you want to send us a donation. Naming rights are still available for the <laughs> Children's Play Garden. Uh, no, so, okay, so is it a member-based organization? We do have memberships. Cool. Um, we uh, actually started a new membership program this fall where it was hard because we don't charge admission. It, you know, it's kind of a hard draw to get someone to pay. So we decided for members, they get... It free admission to any of the public programs. So night hikes, birding for That's beginners. Great. There's a mushroom <gasps> program. Ooh. There's um, winter tree ID. Ooh, yeah. Uh, we'll do tracking programs, all that kind of stuff. Oh, cool. So. And then community groups use the space from time to time. I know I've been there for Kentucky and a Beekeepers Association meetings, right? Yes. Yeah. We obviously that slowed down a bit oh, yeah, in right. the <laughs> pandemic. But yeah, we do host a lot of groups like the beekeepers the geological society all the societies yeah so. <laughs> we're hot with the societies out there. <laughs> that's fun all right so i'm really curious to learn more about your forest restoration work um this this land you you shared some of the history obviously uh maybe it wasn't clear cut i don't know it could have been at some point but it, even no matter what its history uh, a very common issue in forest management these days is the need for restoration due to soil degradation due to invasive species due to all these deer right so talk a little bit about those challenges and how you try and address them sure so our the thing we're really addressing is invasive species. Yeah. Just plants or also insects and Right now, animals? just plants. The deer are, I guess, technically an invasive yeah. species, only because there's too many. But 
There's not much we can do about that, yeah. honestly. Um, but it's an interesting thing, invasive species, because sometimes people from the public see you cutting plants down and, and we get these angry letters saying, why are you but plants? cutting all these plants out of the forest? <laughs> and I always say that as scientists, we don't do a good enough job of explaining this to the people. Yeah, that's you know, true. <laughs> um, when you say this flower doesn't belong here, you have to explain why and what, you know, the repercussions of that. But bush honeysuckle, winter creeper, privet, multiflora rose, um, those are our big ones. Garlic mustard. So we have a team of volunteers. It's all volunteer-led. Rosemary Bauman is like our head forest steward, and she deserves a big shout-out because she's out there she puts in so many hours wow. of work and she kind of leads this group and they they tackle the spe invasive species. We do get a little bit of funding from the USDA for foliar spray and woody invasive removal. And that helps us to buy um, tools and herbicides and pay some people on a contract basis for the work that's a little bit gross and, yeah. and hard <laughs> and nobody likes to do that we don't want to ask volunteers to do. So well, let's, um, let's explain to our listeners who have haven't been involved in a restoration project or an invasive species removal project. Uh, I mean, when you just throw around terms like, well, we buy herbicides, that can sound a little scary. So yeah. talk a little bit about how targeted the applications are. Yeah. So um, there's a couple different methods. One is called cut stump. So <laughs> honeysuckle, you might see these little bitty little flowers, but the stumps can get pretty, pretty big. Yeah. So we cut them at the stump and then paint them with an herbicide. And then there's another method called foliar spray where you are spraying the leaves. However, if you do it at the right time of year, you generally wait until the native plants have already become dormant. So uh -huh, they're not yeah. really absorbing that. And you do it right before these plants become dormant, so they're so they're basically like sucking it all down into themselves. And at a time when pollinators aren't out. Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's also key. <laughs> yeah, so we're really minimizing the impact. Yep. There is an organic herbicide that is available and is effective, but it takes about five times the amount of applications to be as effective. It's also more expensive, so it costs more and also requires so many more hours of labor, and it's just not cost-effective for most nonprofits that, yeah. to my awareness, I... Maybe some are using it, but yeah. um, so we do use herbicide. We feel very strongly that the end result, what, what's that phrase? <laughs> the, <laughs> the ends justify the thank means. You. <laughs> yes, exactly. So it's between, there's that, there's just pulling. If you have ever tried to get rid of weeds in your yard, you know that cutting them down does not make them go away. Right. So you have to use herbicide if you really want to eradicate them. Additionally, honeysuckle is such a jerk <laughs> that, you know, it, it changes the soil composition to make it harder for, for other, other plants, plants to grow. Yeah. You know, the other thing is when you cut them, the seeds have already been released or, um, you know, the winter creeper, those seeds can get in the water and go to another neighborhood. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. and especially with an urban forest, we can't control the things coming in, you know, nature-wise. Right, right, so right. so we 
it's it's an ongoing job and i think we've <laughs> made huge progress yeah. so um and and i know some people that work in forestry for a living have been really pleased to see how far we've come and so that that's great. Yeah. That is encouraging. Well, for anyone who's still concerned about, oh, I can't believe a place like the Louisville Nature Center would be using herbicides. I mean, the, the amount of usage compared to, say, what is sprayed on Louisville lawns, you know, constantly, <laughs> or what is in your diet if you're eating the standard industrial foods, right? Uh, it's, it's nothing. It's a, it's a very targeted application, uh, and, I, and I agree with you. I think it's justifiable in that rare, rare case where you're trying to actually manage and restore a, a forest or a functioning ecosystem after many, many years of neglect. So tell me about the forest itself, its makeup, its diversity? Uh, is this a typical forest for this region of Kentucky? Yes, I would say it's typical. Most of our largest trees are slash were ash trees, and we had oh, to fell no. about 15 of them oh, no. about a year ago. And that's another thing where people don't realize why and i've gotten some calls you know why are you cutting down these trees and but these were trees that have been damaged by the emerald ash borer and we only cut the ones that were in danger of falling on a hiker if you're out off the trails <laughs> that's your that's <laughs> you've taken that chance but camping is not permitted i assume <laughs> no no um so that's a thing that we you know have to contend with but there's oaks and maples and yeah. all kinds of Poplars other and cherry there's a cherry tree and walnuts and hackberry i mean there's you know one thing i've learned since i moved home forests were not my strength um <laughs> my strength in maine was teaching about tide pools which is oh, really not helpful here yeah, not in helpful, kentucky but, but so um, cool. <laughs> but i've learned that Kentucky forests are incredibly diverse. We have yeah, some are. of the more diverse forest ecosystems in the world. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. It's been a challenge for me to learn all the trees because there's so many. But it also makes for really cool, you know, yeah. programs and stuff to learn about. Yeah. And this is a... I would assume a, a pretty important refuge for wildlife. Uh, what kind of bird life do you see in the forest? So we see some pretty cool birds. Yeah. Um, it's actually a really important spot for migratory birds. And I always talk about the owls because I think people just get excited about owls. Um, we've, <laughs> we've had, we have a guy that's an owl expert who has seen great horned owls, barred owls, and um eastern screech owls in our forest so wow. that's pretty cool but the migrating birds it's the forest makeup and being close to the creek make it really a important spot for them so we get a lot of warblers we actually get i wouldn't say a lot but every year i see a handful of birders who are not from louisville and it's not like they drove here to go to the nature center but they'll say oh i was here in town and i had to come check it out and wow. And I always ask them to report back yeah, and tell please. me what they've seen. And you can get really, really nerdy when it comes to birding. <laughs> and I say that being one of them, I'm a bird nerd. The people with the life um, list and everything. Yeah. yeah. So they'll come back and they'll say, I saw a, I can't, I'm trying to think of like a rare warbler, yeah. which we've seen and I can't, 
I can't think of one that's right. rare off the top of my head. But that's but. one of the things I like about the Nature Center. You get the chalkboard about people, what people have seen recently, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I spy. That's great. We're talking today with Rebecca Minnick, Executive Director of the Louisville Nature Center. You can learn more at louisvillenaturecenter.org. Their building is closed during the pandemic, but they still are offering programming and summer camps, right? Tell us about that. What's the plans for this summer? Yeah, so last year, we just punted so many times. <laughs> it was like, okay, we're not no, maybe doing next anything. Month. <laughs> right. We decided to offer camps last year with limiting groups. Yeah. So the groups, we max out at 10, whereas it used to be 15. Yeah. The older kids all wear a mask when they can't be socially distanced, and most of them just wear it all the time anyway. Last year, we, based on the governor's recommendations, did not recommend the younger kids wear masks, but this year we are going to have them wear masks. The kids are socially distant when possible, so um, realizing that we're going to play games and they're going to not be distant right. or but we one big change we made is that we made it all outdoors this year oh, so wow. in years past they might have gone inside to do a craft or eat lunch and be in the air conditioning and we're gonna toughen them up this year <laughs> well i will tell you everyone was happy everyone the kids were happier to Good. be outside i was happier to have them outside the parents everyone was happier so we decided we're gonna keep that even yeah. when we go back to normal times. We're yeah. going to still keep oh, them cool. outside the whole time. So Wow. Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, in the event that it's 105 degrees, you know, you can play water games. Now, I know another thing that the Louisville Nature Center wants to do is be, a, you know, a model for sustainability. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm imagining that during these times when the building is closed to the public might be a good opportunity to work on things like <laughs> energy retrofits. And so talk about your, your goal to get towards net zero energy usage. So it's interesting to have a goal like that in a building that wasn't built for that (laughs) (laughs) and in a budget that wasn't built for that. So, you know, in an ideal world, everyone's building LEED certified buildings. And I don't know what the planning process was in the 90s, but it probably had a lot of what can we do with this budget. Get her done. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Before I came, so I can't speak to specifics of numbers, but we had a large solar array donated and... And um, our roof has enough solar panels that it had reduced our energy usage by, I believe, about 75%. Oh, nice. Nice. Maybe 75 to 80%. And we've done a few really small, very affordable things since then, since I came. We had our parking lot lights replaced with LEDs. Yay. <laughs> and we had just some simple insulation put in yep. around some areas where I said I could just feel can the feel cold the air coming Come in. <laughs> and I've just started, you know, making sure the lights are turned out all there the time go. if you're not in the room. But the LEDs were really big. My next goal is, to, you know, you turn on the lights when you leave for security, the porch lights, and I would like to get those replaced with motion sensors maybe. So yeah, that, yeah. But we did actually get, over the year, averaged net zero for the first time ever. Wow. Even with those minor changes only. Wow. Yeah. So that was pretty exciting. I mean, it probably helped that 
the building was it's closed for so long. Yeah. But um, <laughs> so, and we we had some work done on the heater, so that probably helped too in the air conditioning. But uh-huh. but yeah, we we finally achieved net zero, and of course we're always trying to keep working in that direction and and look for all the efficiencies we can find. And I have a goal of of trying to offer programs to help people do that in their homes. Um, yeah, that'd be nice. You know, not everyone can afford solar panels or like we looked at them for our house but it wasn't going to work because our roof wasn't going to support them is what yep. we were told um so you know looking for other ways to make efficiencies and i think when you do this for a living you forget that not everyone just knows all those yeah things. no they're not so. getting these messages from uh, you know other places or home depot is like, you need a place like the louisville nature center for that and i know there's groups like louisville climate action network that do put on workshops and things like that and are also looking for you know wouldn't it be great if we had a space where we could demonstrate these so you know there might be opportunities for partnerships and those kinds of things um but no matter what people are there really for the for the stuff outside yeah and and part of um part of your programming is to demonstrate sustainable land management practices but most people don't have a forest so you do things like talk about native gardening and rain gardening right yes yeah so we have a rain garden um again it's managed by the master gardeners and um we usually do a rain garden class in the spring. And I, what is a rain garden for those who don't know? Um, so I'm looking forward to taking that class. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that it is using specific plants to help um, soak up your excess water. Yeah. So, for example. Um, Which we you, have a lot of. If you, Especially if you live in Germantown, mm-hmm. like I do, you might have a really soggy yard. Yep. Um, we have the the downspout that you know goes into the yard and then there's always a big puddle so um i'm hoping to put in my rain garden right there um there you, go. you it's a way of like creating some drainage with with the soils but also using plants that are specifically targeted for really wet areas um like swamp milkweed is a native plant that's a great pollinator and great for rain gardens yeah. um, so wait another way to manage manage the excess water going into our our um, CSOs yeah and then the native plants um, you know there's ways you know pollinator gardens we that's before I started the nature center we had a big grant to put in a lot of pollinator gardens around town at schools and parks um, and so just promoting planting for wildlife um, and we sometimes forget that wildlife includes, bugs or (laughs) or little birds or whatever um i've been trying right now to everything i plant in my yard should either be food for me or food for animals um has been my my new thing so i have a there's a lady in our neighborhood that tells me all the birds she sees in her yard and i'm kind of getting jealous and so my goal is to try to get her birds over to my yard (laughs) Now, that's a keeping up with the Joneses that I like. I can support that. <laughs> well, I mean, they can, sh- they can go back and forth. You know? <laughs> I can share the birds. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've discovered in just sort of uh, 10 years at University of Louisville where we've 
started to sort of rewild the landscape behind my office building, which is in a bit. Of, it's a bit of a sort of green island in this in this sea of parking, unfortunately. Uh, but man, if you just kind of let things go and stop mowing, <laughs> you don't even have to manage it really well. It, you could, and you'd probably get even more. But just the diversity of things I see from hawks you know to butterflies <laughs> and all kinds of pollinators and bee native bees of all kinds and just letting the bird feeder spew some uh, sunflower seeds around and suddenly year after year you've got this incredibly rich environment so just stop mowing <laughs> yes i'm that's my goal yeah we um we also do a lot of tree giveaways at the nature oh, center nice. um and you know, I know lo there's lots of organizations in town doing that, and I just can't say enough that we need more trees. If if you don't realize we need more trees in Louisville, then you haven't been paying attention. Yeah. Um, and what's sad for me is when I walk around my neighborhood, most of the big trees in the neighborhood, I realize they need to come down. Not Maybe not need, but they will. I know they will in the next five to ten years, right? And so we have all these little trees that people have recently planted and just want to know why no one, you know, 40 years ago was talking about planting urban trees, yeah. but we can't go back and change that. Yeah. Um, and so, so many empty tree wells. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I'm a big gorilla planter in our neighborhood because it's definitely a need and, and all over the county too. I mean, when we look at the rates of loss of urban canopy, it's most extreme in the suburbs uh, where forests are being cleared for subdivisions. But you've got other issues here in the urban core with urban heat island and the need for infiltrating stormwater and all uh, anything to sustain life, you know, give us oxygen, give wildlife habitat it's all relies on that green infrastructure of planting trees and so yeah I'm, I'm glad you're doing tree giveaways at the louisville nature center that that is super important um anything else you want to say about the center before we uh start to move towards wrapping up here i guess i would just say you know we're all we always have something going on and um to check it out louisvillenaturecenter.org for upcoming programs we we welcome volunteers. We have volunteers of every age, every ability, and um, it's a really great way to get connected and feel like you're making a difference, um, you know, making a difference for a, a local nonprofit, but also making a difference in our environment. Yeah. And it's not just you're not just looking for like physical labor. There's opportunities to volunteer as an educator, I would assume. Yep. We have all kinds of things. We we have people help in the summer reading to the kids during summer camp <laughs> to data entry to people that come and sweep the floors. So, yeah, yeah. and then of course the people that go out and do the, the forest work. So. Cool. You know, well, check out those opportunities, too, at LouisvilleNatureCenter.org. I want to end on a personal note in our last few minutes because Rebecca and I got to know each other through our good friend Carolyn Waters, uh, who's also an environmental educator. And listeners to this program will remember she's been on a couple times, and I'm very excited to announce that Carolyn will be my guest for my 200th Sustainability Now program coming up on Monday and Tuesday of February 22nd to 23rd. So stay tuned for that. Um, but we uh, love to get together and talk about nerdy sustainability things in our personal <laughs> lives. Uh, and something you've been excited about is vegetarian cooking, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been a vegetarian a long time? Um, 
since I was 18. Wow. Even longer than and I have. Cool. Yeah. So like five years, right? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and actually my, my husband who I just met right around turning 40, um, he has been a vegetarian for, for about 20 years as well. So yeah. it kind of worked out really perfectly. And we both really love to cook and, um, I think cooking is my love language. So oh, I love to cook for people. I really miss that in the pandemic, cooking yeah. for other people. But um, yeah, veget we happy vegetarians. What are so. your what are your go to meals? Oh <laughs> you know, we're both really bad at anything fast. So oh, yeah, I'll say too. like, Oh, I I'm not gonna cook tonight. And then I've made like homemade gnocchi or something. It's crazy. But um he likes to make a lot of Indian and Thai food. Yes. Oh, I love both of those. Oh. And um I don't know what my go to's are. <laughs> I have a really great veggie burger recipe that's just a good standby, but I really like to make brunch. That's a big, oh, big thing brunch. for me. So I think yeah, I think I make the best vegetarian biscuits and gravy that oh. I've ever had. So. <laughs> Mushroom gravy, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> oh, I don't get that enough. Yeah, brunch is a big thing in Louisville. And uh, there are some places you can get a vegetarian brunch. Uh, but, yeah, making it yourself is even better. Yeah, and then you don't have to wait for 45 minutes that for too. a table. <laughs> so. that too. Oh, that's great. So have you learned any new uh, skills either in the kitchen or elsewhere during the pandemic for sustainability? Oh, I don't know about sustainability-wise. Just for fun, then? I've impulse purchased a few large <laughs> ticket items. I got a kayak. I got a Dobro. Oh, a kayak. Wow. Yeah, it was a real cheap kayak. Oh, nice. Um, I bought a Dobro, and then I bought a guitar amp last week. So um, there's been a lot of music being played in our house. That's right. Um, You're a musician too, right? Yeah. So, you know, I already, already cooked so much and did so much gardening. Just kind of got deeper into it. That's yeah. how I feel. Like. <laughs> yeah. Mostly it hasn't been new, although Amanda and I have been getting more into mushrooming. Cool. Uh, so we might have to check out your, your mushrooming hike, is it? <laughs> yeah, it is actually sold out. Ah, right. Darn. But, but we're adding another one because it's been so popular. So Very cool. Well, Rebecca Minnick, this has been such a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Uh, come on back to the show anytime. She is executive director of the Louisville Nature Center and grew up in Clay. Clifton. Oh boy, it's been such a great treat. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, stay tuned, everyone. Coming up in just a minute, it's your community action calendar. Oh, yeah, I've got lots of ideas for how you can get involved in sustainability this week. So stay tuned, my friends. Set them free, yeah, yeah. Set them 
diving in the lake. Good Lord, she never too late. Oh yeah, and we're swimming in the sea. I said. Down by the waterside, take our time. Down by the waterside, got no worries and no worries. Down by the waterside, good Lord. Gonna set them free, yeah, yeah. Set me free, yeah, yeah. And we're back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg. You're listening to Louisville's community radio station, Forward Radio WFMP LP Louisville. We broadcast from the top of the historic Habern building at 106.5 FM, or maybe you're listening to our live stream at forwardradio.org, or perhaps you're listening to the archived edition of this program, which you can find at forwardradio.org. And we want to shout out our friends at Appalachian, who you hear behind me now. Thanks to them for letting us use their great local music on the podcast versions of our programs, which you can find at forwardradio.org or on SoundCloud. And let's get our pencils sharpened and our calendars out and get ready to take action for sustainability this week. Coming up on Tuesday, February 16th at 7 p.m., the Greater Louisville Sierra Club, a proud Forward Radio community partner is presenting their monthly program with Sam Avery on his new book, The Carbon Boycott. You can join our community partner as they host a special online presentation by local author and climate activist Sam Avery. Sam's going to discuss this new book, The Carbon Boycott, A Path to Freedom from Fossil Fuels. It makes the case that the science is clear. By the mid-20th century, human beings must stop burning coal, oil, and natural gas. Reducing carbon emissions is simply not enough. They must be eliminated if we are to survive. Each individual doing their part is only a start. We heat our homes, light our rooms, power our cars, provide our food, and produce and distribute consumer goods, all with the help of fossil fuels. A practical and visionary reimagining of the future with groups and communities all changing what products they consume and seeking new ways to work, live, and play to steer aggregate demand towards solar, wind, geothermal, and renewable energy alternatives. Samuel Avery lives with his wife on a small wooded farm on the banks of the Nolan River in central Kentucky. He spends his time gardening, building, writing, and operating a small solar installation company. Sam has been active for many years in a number of organizations and causes, including efforts to stop pipeline construction in Bernheim Forest and the Renewable Energy Alliance of Louisville. On the farm, he says, we have to find reliable sources of water, food, warmth, and energy. We see where our lives come from. You can hear more from Sam on Tuesday at 7 p.m. in this great virtual program from the Louisville Sierra Club. Go to tinyurl.com slash carbon boycott to register for the program. That's tinyurl.com slash carbon boycott. 
Coming up on Wednesday the 17th at 6 p.m., it's the monthly Green Drinks Louisville. It's all virtual now. The Louisville Sustainability Council's Green Drinks Casual Networking and Educational Series continues this month on the 17th with guest speaker Bradley Combs, Environmental Coordinator, uh, Louisville Metro Air Pollution Control District. The Louisville uh, APCD's Lawn Care and for Cleaner Air program has been incentivizing Louisville Metro residents to reduce harmful lawn-related air emissions by offering rebates on cleaner electric and human-powered lawn equipment for 17 years now. The Lawn Care for Cleaner Air professional program offers larger rebates for, on more powerful equipment for lawn care professionals or homeowners with huge yards. Lawn Care for Cleaner Air's sister program, Grow More, Mow Less, seeks to reduce lawn-related air pollution in Louisville Metro by encouraging landowners to switch to low-mow or no-mow landscaping. So you can learn more about these programs on Wednesday the 17th from 6 to 7 p.m. with Green Drinks Louisville. Find the link to register at louisvillesustainabilitycouncil.org. Coming up Thursday the 18th, the Kentuckians for the Commonwealth has issued a call to get involved in their work in the 2021 Kentucky General Assembly. They're navigating a less accessible session due to the pandemic, and they need your help to make our voices heard. You can search the full list of virtual and in-person events uh, online at cutt.ly slash KYGA21 for the Kentucky General Assembly 21. And you can find full details at facebook.com slash Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. But it all continues this week with, on Thursday, February 18th, a virtual lobby day for a healthy democracy from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then next week on Wednesday, the 24th, it'll be a phone bank on voting rights from 4 to 6 p.m. on the 24th. Again, you can learn more on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, all spelled out. Coming up on Thursday, the 18th at noon, it's the third Thursday forum offered by Proud Community Radio Partners a Fellowship of Reconciliation, who launched this station and the Sowers of Justice Network, a proud community partner. This month's forum is focused on collective courage. Uh, it's for Black History Month. It's a program featuring U of L professor and Louisville Association of Community Economics board member, Dr. Lisa Markowitz, as well as board chair Cassa Heron, Dr. Thomas Edison of the Louisville Cooperative Grocery Board. He's the president and uh, ASALH Pro president Barbara Boyd for a discussion of collective courage and the history of black collectives and how cooperatives can offer new solutions for West Louisville and impoverished people all over the world. We'll explore the history of black resilience in the face of oppression and the opportunities to reclaim this legacy of cooperative enterprise right here in Louisville, Kentucky. Register in advance for this great forum. By registering, you'll receive a confirmation email that'll have information about how to join. So find the link or watch it live streamed on the Source of Justice Facebook page. That's at facebook.com slash S-O-J-N-L-O-U. Facebook.com slash S-O-J-N-L-O-U. 
Also, every Thursday in February at 3 p.m., it's the No Waste Louisville webinar series continuing thanks to the Waste Management District. It's a, it's a great series of informational webinars throughout February every Thursday at 3. You can register and learn more at nowastelouisville.org. That's K-N-O-W, wastelouisville.org. Coming up this Thursday at 3 on the 18th, the topic will be household hazardous waste. You can learn about household hazardous waste and why it's important to dispose of it properly and how you can do that. You may not even realize that some of the things in your home are considered hazardous waste and that you can't just put them in the landfill. If you want to be a responsible citizen, there's some simple ways to help out. And you can learn about that this Thursday at 3. Go to nowastelouisville.org to register. The last one for the month will be on the 25th, and it's about backyard composting, so don't miss that. Coming up Friday the 19th at 11 a.m., the University of Louisville's Sustainability Roundtable continues. It's every other Friday at 11 a.m., all online now. And the topic this Thursday is on Zero Waste UofL. Please join us for these roundtables every other Friday throughout the spring at 11 a.m. on the 19th. We'll highlight the work of UofL's 2021 Zero Waste interns, Jacob Fauci and Lee, Lily Stewart, who have been researching UofL's solid waste stream through a fellowship with the Post Landfill Action Network, or PLAN. Together with PLAN staff, they produce a, uh, produced a comprehensive zero waste atlas assessment that's designed to help assess and streamline campus systems for materials management. The assessment gave UofL an overall zero waste score of 58.2%. This compares very favorably to the other campuses that PLAN has worked with, which average between 40 to 50%. For Scope 1 surplus property and hard to recycle materials, UofL scored 63.4%. And for Scope 2 food waste and single use materials, we scored 53.9%. Jacob and Lily gathered the data that informed this assessment, laying the groundwork for the development of UofL's first zero waste plan, which the Sustainability Council will is beginning work on right now in 2021. No pre-registration is required for this event. You can find the link to join at louisville.edu slash sustainability. Again, that's Friday at 11 a.m. on the 19th, louisville.edu slash sustainability. Now, coming up this Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m., I want to remind you about the Cafe Louie. Meet your legislators, legislators virtually at the Louisville Free Public Library. That series continues every Saturday at 9 a.m. Coming up this February 20th, it's your legislators from St. Matthew and uh, Matthews and Crescent Hill. On the 27th, it'll be South Central Louisville. On March 6th, Jefferson Town and Fern Creek. On the 13th, Bonaire, Newburgh and the Highlands, Shelby Park neighborhood. And on March 20th, it wraps up with the Northeast and Middletown areas. The Louisville Free Public Library's Kathy Louie is back this year, connecting citizens to their elected representatives. Each Saturday morning at 9 a.m. through March 20th, participants can join this virtual meeting. Elected officials are given a brief time for prepared remarks, and then they answer a few pre-selected questions submitted by attendees. The focus of these meetings is engagement through personal conversations. Every Cafe Louie is open virtually this year to the public. More information and the live stream are available at facebook.com slash Cafe Louie, C-A-F-E-L-O-U-I-E, facebook.com slash Cafe Louie. 
Also coming up this Saturday, it's a documentary screening and panel discussion, A Towering Task, The Story of the Peace Corps. You can watch the film anytime, Saturday, February 20th through Monday, February 22nd, and there'll be a virtual panel discussion on Sunday the 21st at 7 p.m. President John F. Kennedy established the U.S. Peace Corps back on March 1st, 1961. In the almost 60 years since more than 240,000 volunteers have served in 142 countries. To share that history, the Kentucky Peace Corps Association will host this virtual screening of the film, A Towering Task, The Story of the Peace Corps, and a panel discussion. The film will be available, again, to be viewed anytime this weekend. This is the first feature documentary about the Peace Corps, and it explores the program's history and and legacy told through interviews, archival materials, and more. Films narrated by Annette Benning. To further the conversation about the Peace Corps beyond the film, the Kentucky Peace Corps Association will also host a virtual panel discussion on Sunday, the 21st at 7 p.m. The panel is going to feature the director of the film, returned Peace Corps volunteer Alana DeJoseph. DeJoseph will be joined by three of Kentucky's returned Peace Corps volunteers representing different decades across the history of the Peace Corps. While the screening and panel discussion are free, the Kentucky Peace Corps Association is accepting donations. These non-deductible donations will be used to fund the projects of Kentucky Peace Corps volunteers serving around the world and to promote the third goal of the Peace Corps, that is the promotion of a better understanding of other peoples on the part of Americans. To find the link to register for the screening and the free panel discussion, go to PeaceCorpsDocumentary.com and look under screenings, and you'll find our Kentucky screening there. And again, you can watch it anytime this weekend, Saturday, the February, February 20th through Monday, the 22nd. And the panel is on Sunday, the 21st at 7 p.m. Now, speaking of Sunday the 21st, it's the Yearlings Club, Virtual Black History Month Forum on African-American Perspectives, A Nation Divided. It's on Sunday from 4 to 5.30. The year 2020 revealed to some and reminded others that America is truly a nation divided. Join us as our panel offers their perspectives on current issues, historical events leading up to those, and offers solutions to address problems affecting black communities throughout the nation. Join us as our panel offers perspectives on current issues, historical events, and and more. The panel includes Clark Williams, chairman of the People's Campaign, Gina Dunlap from Community, she's a community investment specialist, Sydney Finley, uh, a McConnell and Woodford Porter scholar at UofL, and vice president of Black and Brown Honor Society, along with Raul Cunningham, the president of Louisville and Kentucky State Chapters of the NAACP. You can find the link to register for the Zoom event at events.louisville.edu. Again, it's it's Sunday the 21st, the Yearlings Club, 4 p.m. virtually this year at events.louisville.edu. And lastly, as you heard recently when we had our, our the director of the Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light on this program, their Facing Winter film series kicks off this uh, Sundays at 6 p.m. this Sunday, February 21st through March 14th. Kipple is excited to bring you the free online film series. Uh, this three-film series is designed to introduce participants to issues impacting the environment. Each Sunday evening, they'll screen a film and then host an interfaith discussion about it. After three weeks, the series will culminate in a collaborative letter-writing campaign, and it all kicks off this Sunday at 6 p.m. with Chasing Ice, which is a fantastic film about how climate change is impacting our uh, ice 
glacial uh, glacial melt around the world. On February 28th, it's Chasing Coral, about the impacts of climate change on coral. And on March 7th, it's The Human Element, which is a fantastic and thought-provoking documentary. It wraps up on the 14th with a collaborative letter writing. You can learn more and register for the free series at tinyurl.com slash kipl facingwinter or find the link at Facebook, facebook.com slash kyinterfaithpowerandlight, all spelled out. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I thank you all so much for tuning in. Hope you have a safe week. Enjoy the snow, my friends. And I'll be back in your ears again in one week's time. Con el sol en el cielo, con la luna y las